0: Turn in your Bible, please, and we will read together from Judges chapter 6. And we are taking up now today, this morning, a new section. We left off our messages in verse 24 last week. We take up this week verse 25. And we will read through verse 32. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, that's Gideon, take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, And throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath. And cut down the grove that is by it. And build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock. In the ordered place. And take the second bullock and offer a burnt offering with the wood of the grove which thou shalt cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants, and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was, because he feared his father's household and the men of the city, that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold the altar of Baal was cast down and the grove was cut down that was by it. And the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. And they said one to another, Who hath done this thing? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon the son of Joash hath done this thing. Then the men of the city said unto Joash, Bring out thy son that he may die, because he hath cast down the altar of Baal, and because he hath cut down the grove that was by it. And Joshua said unto all, uh, Joash. Joash said unto all that stood against him, Will ye plead for Baal? Will ye save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death whilst it's yet morning. If he be a God, let him plead for himself, because one hath cast down his altar. Therefore, on that day, he called him Jerubbabel, saying, Let Baal plead against him. Because he had thrown down his altar, turn with me, please, if you will again, and stand with me, and we will sing together four hundred and eighty eight in preparation to the message. O oh, for that tenderness of heart which bows before the Lord, that owns how just and good thou art, and trembles at thy word. Oh, for those humble, contrite tears Which from repentance flow That sense of guilt Which trembling fears The long-suspended blow O Lord, to me in pity give, for sin the deep distress, the pledge thou wilt at last receive, and bid me die in peace. O fill my soul with faith and love And strength to do thy will Praise my desires and hopes above Thyself to me reveal Thank you and be seated. I read to you, shared with you last week before the message, a quote from B.M. Palmer regarding his inability to complete a sermon in one one Sabbath day. I read this week another, as he introduced his text, he said what I often feel and think to the congregation before he started the message, he said, I will discharge my text with all the brevity that its importance will permit. (laughs) Somewhat of a disclaimer, I suppose. But I will attempt this morning to discharge my text with all the brevity that its importance will permit. We've come together now this morning around this new set of verses. This text in Judges 6 verses 25 through 32. We spent some time, I don't know, three, four messages in the preceding passage. But we've taken up now this new set of verses to take up again this marvelous record of God's dealings With his judges in Israel. And now we are dealing with this judge specifically, Gideon. I had mentioned in my first message from this passage. What a great attraction this chapter 6. What a great attraction this record has always held especially for children throughout the ages. This is a hero of epic proportions, and only because of the grace and power of our God. What a story. (laughs) What an adventure. What a God. So far, we have seen him, Gideon, in his sorrows, verse 11 and 12. I could not describe that scene any better than to say that it is a scene of great sorrows. We've seen him in his sorrows, verse 11 and 12. And then we have seen him in his surprise, in verse 13 through 15 when this angel suddenly appears to him what a a surprise what a great surprise so we've seen him in his sorrows already we've seen him in his surprise we've seen him in his searchings in verse 17 he's searching he asks for a sign He's searching. We've seen him in his servitude, verses 18 through 24. His servitude in making offerings to this angel and rendering service. What service he can. He has not yet the confidence to believe that he could destroy the mighty nation of the Midianites. But he knows that he has this ability. He can render this service, and so he does. And now today in our text, we shall see him in his separation. His sacred separation in verses 25 through 32. We saw him in his servitude in verses 18 through 24. And now we see him in his sacred separation. Verse 25 through 32 that I read in your presence this morning. His separation from sin and his separation unto God. As you here, members of this congregation, well know, I choose to not always treat every text by the same method. Sometimes I try to open up a text by the use of an outline, more or less detailed. At other times I take up to attempt a strict verse-by-verse exposition And then again at other times, I simply seek to set the whole passage before you. Just set the passage before you and then glean from it those lessons that are most prominent in its import. It is this latter method that shall be my method in this passage before us here today. And to that end... Allow me to set the text before you again. Verse 25. After Gideon has built this altar unto the angel, recognized and acknowledged him as Jehovah, Jehovah Shalom. And the angel has recognized him and accepted his offering. In verse 25, the record tells us that it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock. Even the second bullock of seven years old, and I may or may not ever mention this again, but there is a marginal reading there, and it's one of the very, very few places where I do not agree with the King James translators in their marginal applications. Some would change that word even to the word and. Take thy father's young bullock and in the second Bullock of seven years old, which would give us in this text not one, but two bullocks. And clearly, the text does not bear that out. I think that their original translation is absolutely accurate and should be left as it is the word even. Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, so that we're talking about one bullock only. And he says to him, And throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it, and build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place, and take the second bullock, and offer a burnt offering with the wood of the grove which thou shalt cut down. Now there's a great deal, and I do not ever, you know that I don't, I never waste my time at length entertaining controversies in a text. I will only mention them. So as you know, there's a great deal of controversy in this verse as to what all is being said. What is the ordered place? What is this rock? Is it the rock on which he just built an altar? The better translation is this high place, this top of this mountain, no doubt. Most commentators agree that it's referring simply to the top of this mountain. There he was to build an altar. There he was to tear down the grove. And that word grove is in great controversy. The word grove and it is can and does literally translate other ways and it does mean other things in other places and it refers, most believe that it refers to a carved statue of Baal and that that statue itself being composed of wood was in fact cut down by him and that was the very wood used to fire the altar. For the sacrifice unto God. Jehovah God. So there's a great deal of controversy. Within these texts. None of that. Has any interest for me. Except to know that it was in fact. There was a grove. It could refer to that statue. It could refer to the trees around this high spot. Which was very common in Baal worship. All idolatry made use of trees around their altars. Those were considered sacred places, whether it meant trees or the, whether it meant a statue or whether it meant both. All of that is possible. Verse 27, Then Gideon took ten men, ten trusted men of his servants. And did as the Lord had said unto him, and so it was. Because he feared his father's household and the men of the city, that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. And again, controversy rages in this text. I come off my own position with that, being the same as Dr. Gill. Some say that he did this at night because he feared people. He was afraid of what would happen to him. The danger that it would bring to him, but I say not so. It was well known. Sure as the sun came up, this would all be known. There was no possibility of escaping danger from it. If he did it at all, the danger would be there. That was very clear. But rather, I take with Gil the position that he did it by night because he feared that his father's household and the men of the city would prevent him doing it. Because of them, they would overwhelm him and overpower him, and he wouldn't be able to get the job done. And that's my position. You can have your own. Verse 28 When the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, The altar of Baal was cast down, and the grove was cut down that was by it. And the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. Now they tore down an altar. They destroyed the grove. They built an altar, and they made an offering all in one night. And they said one to another, that is the men of the city, who hath done this thing? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of uh, Joash, hath done this thing. Nobody knows exactly who told it, but somebody told it. Evidently one of the ten of these trusted servants finally let it be known, let it out. Verse 30, the men of the city said unto Joash, Bring out thy son that he may die because he hath cast down the altar of Baal and because he hath cut down the grove that was in it. So they called for the life of Gideon to be sacrificed because of this business. That verse alone, if nothing else, tells you just how deeply involved was Gideon's own father in this business. They felt comfortable to come to him and ask that he bring his son out with the full expectation that he would do it. And this bullock was his bullock. And this altar was his altar. And it was on his land. And so they demand that he be brought out with the full expectation that he would be brought out. But God, the sovereign God, had done something in Joash. Whether in the course of the night, whether in the early morning hours, whether it was while they spoke, we do not know. But God did something in Joash's heart and turned him from a raving, rabid idolater to a strong witness. Against their sin. And Joash said unto them all. To all that stood against him. Will you plead for Baal? These are Israelites you understand. These are Israelites. These are the people of the covenant. Joash is a man of the covenant. He's a man of Israel. And suddenly the brutal reality of the horror of this idolatry that has permeated them has suddenly dawned on him. And he says to them, what? You? Will you plead for Baal? (laughs) Will you save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death. Let him be put to death whilst it's yet morning. You wanted to kill Gideon for destroying Baal? No, if you defend Baal, you need to die. If he be God, let him plead for himself. Because one hath cast down his heart. Therefore, on that day he called him, that is, Joash called his son, Jerubbaal, saying, Let Baal plead against him because he hath thrown down his altars. Although, as I said, I will not be looking at this passage through the use of an outline specifically, as I did, I think, both the texts before. Nevertheless, for those of you who find such things helpful for memory's sake, I'll give you a very general outline, which you may find useful. There is in this passage, as I've just opened it to you, there is, number one, a declaration of full-out war. What Gideon does in this passage is nothing short of a declaration of war. There is in this passage, number two, the destruction of false witness worship. There's the declaration of full-out war. There's the destruction of false worship. The grove must be cut down. Baal must be destroyed and crushed. Thirdly, there is in this passage the dedication of a faithful worship. Just as surely as there was a destruction of false worship, there is a dedication of faithful worship. Gideon sent up an offering to Jehovah. And finally, there is in this passage a delineation of a future warrior. Verse 32, his father said, let him be called There is a delineation of a future warrior or a distinction, if you please. These may be pegs that some may find useful to hang your thoughts on as we look at this text. I must confess to you again that I seem always to struggle. And more especially when I take up a new section, I struggle with the snail's pace at which I seem to be moving in our pursuit of this book by my sermons. There is so much rich instruction In the fine details of these records, that I struggle whether only to carry on with the main features and thus move more quickly, or to milk it dry (laughs) for all of its sweet cream, as we say in the South, and suffer the delays. But as you might well expect, I have chosen. To milk it dry. So then let us begin with a lesson this morning. Our first lesson from this passage. Which seems unavoidably conspicuous. Right in the very first few words of our text. There is in my mind a great lesson. Verse 25. And it came to pass the same night. Hmm. This time marker, this precise time delineation, planted as it is by God's Holy Spirit of inspiration, planted by inspiration here at the very outset of all that follows, points unmistakably to me, to a profound truth much needed in our own day. You see, this angel of the Lord, and I have always said every time I use that phrase, It is the angel of the Lord. It is the Lord, the angel. (laughs) Has just revealed himself to Gideon and planted in him a faith by which to lay hold on God's redemptive purposes for his people. The angel has just done that and we read the record in these verses just preceding. He's revealed himself to Gideon and planted in him a faith, albeit small and flickering, nevertheless, a very real and living faith by which he may lay hold on God's redemptive purposes. He has been allowed to see God and live, (laughs) albeit through a Christophany, Which, by the way, as a sidelight, this is the only way that any man will ever see God and Leo. And that is through the mediation of Christ. Never forget it. Gideon has been allowed to see God in a Christophany and live. Faith has been planted in his heart to lay hold on God's purposes. Born in his heart. Gideon's offerings being accepted have confirmed his newly announced standing. And he's granted in verse 24 peace. Peace has not only been declared, but well and truly established in Gideon's own experience. And now, right now, with no delay, with no time between, with no further revelations or instructions, that same night, War on God's enemies is declared and a plan to execute it is set afoot. Did you hear it? That same night, as soon as God has revealed Himself, as soon as this Christ comes and speaks to Him and birth, Faith in his heart. Immediately. War is declared. War is declared. Oh. Do you see the lesson here? As soon as God's righteousness. Is revealed. In the soul. War. Is declared. On God's enemies. Can I say it again? As soon. As God's righteousness is revealed in the soul, war is declared on God's enemies. But note it, note it. This war doesn't begin on the Midianites. (laughs) God, through this angel's instructions, the Lord, through his instructions to Gideon in this passage, is not first declaring war on the Midianites. He's declaring war on Israel's idols first. I've said that, I said a moment ago, that this is a profound truth. I said much needed in our day. Because you see, we have parading in our nation today another gospel. Galatians 1 and 7. That tells poor sinners that all they need to do is accept Jesus. Vote for Jesus. And then life will be filled with happiness. All of your friends, albeit they're still worldlings, all your friends will love you more. And every place now will be a new happy place. There's nothing more to be done. All your woes are over. Your growth in grace may have some difficulty somewhere later, maybe, maybe not. But all you need to do now is to bathe in the sunlight of ethereal delight. That's all you have to do. But it is not so. Just on the heels of a glorious revelation, just on the heels of a divine manifestation, verse 25, that same night, Gideon receives this visitation. And it is a call to arms. Oh, how contrary is this doctrine to the modern gospel. How contrary is the gospel of our God to the modern gospel. Was it not our Lord's constant call to his followers that they were called to take up their cross? And follow him, Matthew sixteen twenty four. Not take up your party hat. Take up your cross. Take up your cross and declare war. It was a Southern Baptist hymn, writer, B. B. McKinney. In 1936, heard R.S. Jones, a missionary to Brazil, heard him in a meeting speaking and he had had forced to come home because of a physical problem. B.B. B. McKinney so moved by hearing the missionary went home and penned these words. Take up thy cross and follow me. I heard the master say. I gave my life to ransom thee. Surrender your all. Today. Today. By the way. We sometimes use the word, and I'm not critical of it. I understand it. I do myself. We sometimes use the word of cross. We talk about a cross when we have a physical affliction, a burden. We talk about that being a cross. But let's not forget, strictly speaking, the cross was an instrument of torture. It was a persecution. It was an instrument of war against God's people. When B.B. McKinney wrote those words, Take up thy cross. Follow me. He wasn't talking about affliction. He was talking about declaring war. Take up thy cross was not that our Lord's constant call. his disciples, did he not say in John 15 and verse 18, they've hated me, they'll hate you also. Where is this in the modern gospel message? Was it not because of this needed self-abasement? Was it not because of this immediate self-abasement that that rich young ruler in Matthew 19 went away sad was it not for this very crime of delay that our lord condemned those in Luke chapter 9 who had every cause it seemed for delay one said Let me bury my father. (laughs) And another said, Let me bid farewell to my household. And in Luke chapter 14, One said, I bought a piece of ground. Let me go and see it. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. Let me go and try them. And another said, I married a wife. Could you give me a little time? But oh, All manner of reasons, but our Lord said, Take up thy cross now and follow me. Now, I said to you, there's a lesson here. Verse 25, it came to pass the same night. The same night. Gideon, that same night, must begin at once to work out the grace that this angel had worked in. Well, might he have said, as some today would, and be excused in it. Well, might he have said, look, give me some time to explain this to my family what's happened. Give me some time especially to to explain to my father what I've seen here. He might have even said, give me some time to adjust. (laughs) That's a great psychological ploy we hear a lot today. People just need time to adjust. You know, he might well have just said, Give me some time to rest. I mean, if you read the record again of all that's just transpired, all the work that he, he started out the day before threshing wheat with a stick. Then he wound up cooking and separating and building all, and all, the, look at all the work, and it's been a, It's been a long day. Couldn't I just get a little rest? And it came to pass the same night. But no, no time for rest. No time for adjustment. No time for explanation. It's time to follow the Lord. Could I just say to you that are here today, whether you be a saint to whom the voice of God has spoken in recent days about the weakness and puniness of your service, or whether you are a sinner to whom the demands of the gospel have come again, I urge you this morning, broach no delay. God will not be trifled with. This angel comes in the same hour, and his appearance demanded Gideon's allegiance. God's callings, hear me, saint or sinner, hear me. God's callings are not fodder for your speculations. God's callings are not propositions for your considerations. God's callings are not suggestions for you to entertain. The word comes, take up thy cross and follow me now, this night. This, that same night, the Lord said. His call to take up the cross is always his instant and unequivocating demand. Oh, could I just warn you? Could I just warn you one more time? To trifle is fatal. To dally is damning. To halt between two opinions is tempting destruction. This very night, Gideon, God, lays out the demands. Notice with me just here, as we look at this lesson, that Gideon's growth in faith I said it was birth back yonder in that last text. It was birth, no doubt. When he saw that altar burn, that rock go into flames and consume his sacrifice, faith was born in his heart. And it starts to grow, but I want to say to you that his growth in grace is always slow, very Gradual and slow, might I say, almost painful, but at every step in its progression, His obedience is quick and deliberate. Quick and deliberate. Look at verse 20 again. Yeah. That final word, you remember I preached from it. Final words, and He did so. <laughs> His growth in grace may be slow. It may be gradual. Yes, it might even be painful in a sense. But at every step in its progression, His obedience is quick and deliberate. Somebody wisely said, He who knows the favor of God will never fear the disfavor of men. But I ask how is it that Gideon shall be able to do such things as this angel has declared? How is it that he shall be able to do such things? Indeed, the venerable Dr. Gill informs us this way. He said Gideon was no priest and yet He's bid to offer sacrifice, and that on an altar of his own erecting, and not the altar of God in the tabernacle. And he was bid to do it upon the top of a rock, and with the wood from a grove made for idols, which in other cases was not allowed. And all of this was done at night, which was not the time for sacrificing. The Jews, says Dr. Gill, say that there were at least eight things that were made free and allowed to get in which were never at any other time allowed. Why? Why? <laughs> oh, here it is, Dr. Gill, in his own words. The divine warrant was sufficient. God said it. The divine warrant was sufficient. Did he have the divine warrant? Oh, yes. Verse 14, Have not I sent thee? Verse 16, Surely I will be with thee. And now verse 25, This same night, he gives him instructions. This same night I require of thee do this. Hmm. The divine warrant. We have my brethren we have the divine warrant inspired inscripturated written for us. We have the divine warrant for the building of Christ's church. My beloved saint friend, my beloved sinner friend, I ask one simple question in the face of this lesson today. Why will you tarry? Why will you tarry? Why will you tarry? tarry? And it came to pass the same night. Why will you, Terry? Turn with me in your hymn book, if you will, please. Stand together and sing again, number four hundred and fifty-two. Standing together, please. Mm Repent the voice, celestial cries, no longer dare delay. The soul that scorns the mandate dies and meets a fiery day. No more the sovereign eye of God o'erlooks the crimes of men. His arrows now are sent abroad to warn the world of sin. O sinners, in his presence bow, and all your guilt confess. Accept the offered Savior now, nor trifle with his grace. Soon will the awful trumpet sound and call you to his bar. His mercy knows the pointed bound and yields to justice there. Amazing love that yet will call and yet prolong our days our hearts subdued by goodness fall and weep and love and praise